Hey, it's Low Profile. I'm Markley, and this is a sound work entitled Merc by the duo Alejandra Salinas and Aaron Bergman. Taken from a collection of re-edited works called Fiction, it's a slice of a chapter in this couple's life together as globetrotting sound artists, which lasted for about a decade, starting in 1996. Back then, they were simply known as Alejandra and Aaron. They also ran a record label called Lucky Kitchen, which released albums by dozens of international sound artists like Asuna, Joshua Abrams, Toshiyuki Kobayashi, Pauline Oliveros, and too many more to mention here. But I absolutely love all the duo's recordings. Thankfully, most of these rare and obscure records have recently become available again through Bandcamp. Today, they're teaching art in Portland, Oregon, developing a new species of genetically enhanced attack bees, and producing multimedia works under the name Bergman and Salinas. <laughs> you got the bee again. By the microphone so everyone can hear it. Oh, 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 it got me. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Low Profile is listener supported, so please share it with a friend who might enjoy it. And if you'd like to help keep the show running with a flexible monthly donation, please visit patreon.com slash lowprofile. Got a Venmo now too. That's at Lowpro Podcast. Low Profile receives in-kind support thanks to these Olympia, Washington independent businesses. Schwartz's Deli, Rainy Day Records, San Francisco Street Bakery, Old School Pizzeria, and Schurler Premium Shitty American Lager from Three Magnets Brewing. Come with me now to Alejandra and Aaron's backyard garden, where we will meet them and their daughter Agnes for the first time over coffee. This is Markley, and I'm here in Portland, Oregon, at the home of Alejandra Salinas and Aaron Bergman. And also, we're joined by Agnes Bergman Salinas. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Hi. It's a real pleasure and honor to be sitting with you all. Um, I've been invested in your work for half of my life, I guess. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear about how it all came to be because it's always been very mysterious to me. <laughs> so, well, you started making music in the... I want to say mid 90s. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. 96. Yeah, together uh -huh. in 96 mm -hmm. in New York City. Um, we were living, well, we were living in Toronto in 96 actually. Yeah, we met. So we were, yeah, we started, we started in, in yeah. Toronto together. Yeah. But it was totally informal and just right. experimenting. So I'd start, yeah. It was not until we moved to New York that then we started to record and publish and meet other people. Um, in Toronto we were just doing it at home. The project was then known as Alejandra and Underwood? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that, that's... Um, so we we started to, to collaborate with a friend in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, and we came up with this name, Sweatsoon Underwood. I, I mean, it's, it's 
seems so abstract to even talk about this now. It's been so long, but <laughs> it was totally made up. And it was completely completely made up. His name is Daniel Raffle, and he came up with Switzerland, and you you took you took Underwood from the typewriter, I think. Yeah, it, it but it was completely like you know twenty year olds like coming up with coming up with some <laughs> stupid name, and, and then it's like contest for the rest of our <laughs> life. <for> Underwood. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what Papa was making song with uh, Daniel. You remember Daniel? Mm -hmm. We're still friends. Okay. Um, so and then I always kept my name Alejandra. So. Yeah. So your 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 decision in the beginning was a good one in that <laughs> you, you don't monkey around with your name. You just use your name. <laughs> so. Yeah. And uh, so, how how did you two come together and uh, artistically and otherwise? Well, we met in Toronto. Um, we were both studying in Toronto. And we're introduced to each other and talked about Almodovar, the Spanish filmmaker, and uh, and I was in love pretty quickly. Um, I don't know about <laughs> you, but anyway, within within six months or something, we were a couple. And then, I mean, we were students, so nothing serious, but we were making art and sound and films. And it came time to to move because I graduated and she wanted to continue studying and so we decided New York City. We moved there and and started to do a lot of sound and started to take it a bit more seriously. And the nice thing about sound is that it's um, it's logical to collaborate. Mm. So as we were both coming up with ideas, um, at first we were just helping each other with each other's projects. And then as we got to really uh, in appreciate and enjoy each other's ideas, we decided to just collaborate. And so basically from, from 1998, 99 mm. or so yeah. until now, we've collaborated on everything. Yeah. Everything. Wow. Yeah, at the beginning we were working, as we were saying, with Daniel and we were running the level and publishing other people's works and then uh, we started to work Kion and I more and more closer together and then that became slowly our focus mm -hmm. our collaboration together yeah and we always collaborate with other people as yeah. well so mm -hmm. that's kind of with our artistic practice and our sound practice um, we've done a lot of collaborations with other people so it's just something that we find personally fulfilling and mm -hmm. it, it does a lot of things like it dismisses the kind of myth of genius that we have a problem with in art and be, and it's also a kind of community building activity so um, when you collaborate with other people it, you're bringing ideas and it's kind of clear that, that it's a process that is about like the social aspect of art and art making and music and that for us has always been very important um, but then fundamentally um, working together we have this built-in collaboration and we've been doing it now for a very long time. We're not famous, but we're starting to be among the collaborators who are um, the least have the most longevity. Um, yeah. You have some sway yeah. in, in this world. <laughs> yeah. So the label Lucky Kitchen, is there a big dramatic story behind that? Uh, the name. Label? Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit nicer, I think. Yeah. We, um, it was our favorite restaurant in New York. We would go 
um, I think it was the combination of two restaurant na restaurant names, right? Mm -hmm. That we will go to. I believe the details are really fuzzy, but they're definitely at least one and maybe two restaurants. I think it was a <laughs> hybrid of two of our favorite restaurants so. that we will go it's to. Um, but I think it was um, this idea a of hybrid name. Hybrid name. Yeah, you li Agnes likes hybrids. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but in, in cooking and sharing meals and this, um, we were trying to bring these ideas of collaboration and mixing and um, gathering around a meal kind of ideas. Hmm. Uh, am I wrong? that I think I've heard a lot of sounds of cooking and the kitchen in your works. Yeah, yeah there's... I'm wrong? No, it's <laughs> it definitely there's a lot of um, sounds of, of meals and, and eating and cooking, for sure. That's a theme that's been yeah. consistent with all of our work, actually. And as a matter of fact, we are now working on an audio documentary uh, that is de dealing with seeds, the patenting of seeds. So it's kind of interesting that we have kind of continued this in, in, in different manifestations to today of like where, um, I mean in this case like where our food comes from, but um, different issues related to food. I want to watch a movie. Oh, of course. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, can, you, can you tell me about this record sure. a little bit? It's the... Uh, I'm pulling it out so all the listeners on the radio can see it. This is uh, Alejandro Salinas Home Tapes, Lucky Kitchen number seven. And you can hear it's packaged in very delicate materials. Yes, so I made the vinyl from cassette tapes that I had from recordings I made growing up. and. I remember when I was maybe like a little bit older than Agnes, I would just record all the sounds around me and I will describe what was happening to the tape recorder. But also I will take it especially around celebrations or festivals. So I had all of these sounds. And it's a thing with my family because my family emigrated to Canada and they will send tapes back and forth to each other from Spain to Canada. So somehow, growing up, that's what we will do to communicate by recording tapes. And then I will take make recordings when my parents were away, and then I will play back to them what I was doing during the day. So that seemed, at the time, kind of meaningful that I will have been doing this for so long, and this idea of um, keeping an archive of your life through um, cassette tapes. So I edited them and then made it into two sides. One that is a straightforward field recordings and yeah. then the other one that is um, some kind of interpretation, um, reworking of the field recordings. Yes. I
something that we were doing, um, both of us a lot at the time, is um, like trying to find a balance between having the audio documentary and not uh, losing some of the essence or the spirit of it or the narrative, but then also to um, test what can you do with the sounds and what kind of compositions or how can you still get the, the same sense without having such a clear reading of what it is. So far you've mentioned living in London and Toronto and New York, now you're here. You guys don't like to stay put. <laughs> is that, is that yeah. fair? I guess, um, I mean, life circumstances happen and um, yeah, it's a long story. It's hard to summarize, but maybe that you're accurate that we don't <laughs> like to stay put. Yeah. Do you feel like the locations you chose um, were a big part of the artistic output you made at that time? It seems like a lot of location-specific yeah. recordings. Yeah, well... I think that's an interesting question. Does the location make a difference? And of course it does, because we're surrounded by people and by different kinds of experiences of the different people in each place. And so we're picking up on and learning from the people around us. So absolutely our our work, and it's whether it's sound work or artwork or writing or anything we've been pursuing, our work changes a lot based on where we're living. It used to be somehow more important to name where we were making things, so that's why, for example, there's the, um, the La Rioja record and the Porto record. Right. One thing I can remember now is there's this barber and cutting hair in this some kind of old style. I don't even know. We didn't research. Two scissors, right? with two scissors and and all the locals would just stop in. It's a, you know, regular barber. There's something really beautiful about just how you could tell that this kind of haircut had been going on for a very long time. You could tell that this barber was a, a fixture in the community. And his, I think his name was Ferreira. Right, it's in the credit. Yeah, um, it's sorry the, the time now is so, so long we don't remember many details. But, um, and so there was this, the place is a special place in the community and also a special place in time. And so being there, um, just trying to like awkwardly, because everyone, they were very aware that there was two strangers recording them. So it's awkward. Right. But they were just like doing their best to ignore us. They're also like kind of polite. And 
Um, and since we were kind of harmless, we weren't asking them to do anything, they, they soon kind of forgot about us. The fact that it was only sound helped too. Right, it's different with a camera crew. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Watching your hair and everything. Yeah. So we told them that we were, um, the sound that there, that happens while during these haircuts was so special and wonderful that we just wanted to focus on and record that sound. And and then I think they also realized, oh yeah, it is kind of nice. And so there was this moment where we were listening to them and then they were listening to themselves for the first time maybe in a long time because of course when you do this every day you don't notice. But I think they noticed again. And so there was this really nice moment where um, this old and new coming together and then the sort of awareness that happens when there's somebody else pointing it out. Um, and so this moment was really, really special, and then it's also really nice that we have the recording. We don't listen to it that often, but when we do, sound and memory are so connected that it's like we were, you know, 20-something again, standing in, um, in Porto a long time ago. I think also the, um, the relationships we made when we were making the recordings, that was very special. Every recording has its history for sure. Cause, yeah. you know, like from when we went to Aforada to when the, all the boats were honking. Yeah, with the boats, for example, in Aforada, that's this fishing village where the boats would go out every morning to the sea and catch fish and come back. And um, to have that right in the city is a little unusual. Um, and so it was very traditional but also the boats were kind of modern they weren't just like rickety wooden boats there were some but actually there were some somewhat large modern ships yeah. in this fishing fleet and so the tradition in Aforada and the day of the saint was they pulled out the saint and marched the saint around as and there's some songs and some some rituals but then they end up of course they bring the saint down to the boats they bring the saint down to the harbor because that's the livelihood of the town. In order to sort of bring the boats right into the ritual, every, all the boats blast their horn. These are modern boats, they're not like just old fishing boats. And so there's this blast, and, it's, and all of them are blasting at a different pitch. say tradition, um, there are these um, ideas of time being frozen at a certain time and then like anything pre this period or this event is traditional and everything afterwards is contaminated with um, modern uh, influences. Yeah. Contemporary. Uh, right. Yeah. But that makes no sense, right? Because every culture changes through time and traditions evolve and it, the, it, at what point can you say that it's really authentic? Mm -hmm. Is it like when, what, what time period are you going to say that the tradition uh, can be stamped as authentic? So the boats that are using contemporary technology 
they will be part of the lineage of tradition of blasting the horn in during this day. It doesn't um, the sound changes, but the tradition stays the same. Um, so for us, it was about not uh, romanticizing what old is or what tradition is, but seeing tradition alive um, through its rituals that are ch that are changing with life um, and not exorcising 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 <laughs> <laughs> the place. So like for example, there were these recordings of um, lavaderas where they will wash the clothes in this communal washing and singing too, right? And singing. I was listening to that this morning. Mm. Yeah, and it's very really beautiful. It's really powerful yeah. too. Yeah, and I think on one hand, um, it was really I was really amazed that of this communal activity that women would go and wash their clothes there. But I think that for us, it was important to not. Um, uh, uh, or ice them to say like oh you know like the, they don't ha they don't have washing technology or whatever because most likely they do have a washing machine at home so the they story just choose to the story with that is that they do the women who wash their clothes in the communal lavadoros lavadoros um, they have washing machines at home but they actually lobbied the city to make a modern um, version of the old washing area. Oh yeah, and it was super clean. Like clean and, and it was like Euro modern. Uh -huh. It's the glass windows, the really beautiful, beautiful like yeah. stainless steel, like <laughs> high high design. So it was like a high design version of this ancient, you know, washing area for for the village to go and wash their clothes. And then the, um, they weren't keeping it up because everyone has washing machines at home, like electric, regular, you know washing machines they don't really need to go to the lava, la, the lavadoros and so um but they missed it so much as a social community event where they would all see each other every day or at least several times a week that they lobbied to get a new one built of like high standards with actually a better view next to the harbor but also practicality though i think it makes some sense because some things you went to was by hand and washing things by hand in the sink is kind of annoying because you get water sure. everywhere. So I think that also they practically, like if there was a place in Alameda to go wash your clothes and I would chat with people, I would go too. Uh -huh. uh, so I think for us it was important to, um, to not see uh, one a distinction between all and new or between tradition and contemporary behavior, but to see them in context of they are um, continuing traditions. Yeah. Temos o mundo na mão. Se canta o seu mal e canta, e chora o seu mal aumenta. Não canta. 
So that, I mean, we were prepared to, to answer that because <laughs> um, although it seems like, we, I mean, we haven't been publishing records, mm -hmm. um, but we have like transitioned in a way that is logical to us to different kinds of projects. And, um, and we have not, there hasn't been like even a several month period where we haven't been productive. But we've we've moved from like sound, sound art, audio, experimental audio, um, to like other forms of of art production, and, and it often includes sound. Sure. And so we've done videos, performances, installations, and documentary works um, that involve sound, and we've we've composed um, music in different ways. But since then, we've done a number of other audio works. We've worked with a choir, for example, in here in Portland, and we composed a kind of improvised piece with them and recorded that, and that was part of a, an exhibition in Aarhus, the Kunsthalle Aarhus. have released some of your work as well. Um, notably, the, the album that I never had any problem finding was uh, Busha Blue Blazes. Uh -huh. uh, 
for whatever reason that I I would see it and I would buy it and because uh, I already had one and I would give it to somebody. <laughs> oh, really? That's sweet. <laughs> I love you. there's this other story of like kind of the destiny that's led to this was when I about 10 years ago was renting a room from somebody and the previous tenant had worked for I believe secretly Canadian distribution uh -huh. and left a box of like 50 or more Lucky Kitchen releases in the garage thing. yeah and I, I was helping my, you know, the landlord essentially, um, clean out his garage, and I came across this. I'm like, what? Wh where the hell did these come from? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. What is that? And I'm like, I know what this is. And I, I sent you an email. We remember. I remember yeah, that yeah, email. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and you told me just. Uh, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what have yeah, you, you said, she, she, what should I do with it? And they say, well, you can keep it or give it away. <laughs> whatever. Because we have boxes of CDs we as well. Do, yeah. So, okay. um, we, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, these objects, you know, the artifacts are somehow interesting and important in that they contain the material. But um, because for us, it's just been about continuing to work and make more that the individual things that are left behind are somehow less less valuable to us personally mm -hmm. and certainly as you can see from the discarded box not particularly valuable socially either so yeah. um so what, what did you do with the the box of discarded lucky kitchen cds well i kept uh copies of all the ones that i didn't have anymore and I spent over over the next couple years I would just give them to people <laughs> who I thought would appreciate them. Oh, that's nice. nice. That's, that's really exactly nice. what we yeah, hoped. Yeah. 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 yeah, I just shared them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, back to Busha Blue Blazes. That album has a protagonist. Uh-huh. Um, who is Busha? Ian's grandma. My grandmother. Okay. Yeah. So I don't grew up with his grandma, so they're very close. She's still alive. She's 90, over 90. 93. Wow. She'll be 94, oh, very soon. Oh, yeah. And when we were living in Spain, in La Rioja, she came to visit and spent a month with us. And um, we decided that we would make a record together. And so every day 
we would I would just strum the guitar with some chords and she would play along and then Alejandra would play some electronics and we would just kind of jam improvise every day wow. and we recorded a number of a number of hours and then um, edited down and and produced this record of my grandmother and Alejandra and I mm -hmm. playing music together in La Rioja in, in Logroño, La Rioja, Spain in 2000, 2000, 2000 I think or maybe 2001. Okay. That's when we were in Spain. I thought maybe they were old, uh, like family tapes that you had no. found. But so that source material is all just yeah, a family band. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. playing guitar I like playing more electronics yeah, and what about that what what actually when you, you say you were playing electronics during that in that setting what does that look like different things like from things that I had some that I had worked on and then I would play back and then manipulate life mm -hmm. to um, not electronics where I would take different objects and make sounds with it going along Okay. So the whole idea was synthesizer, yeah. like some tones and some harmonies. This is small sounds that we could. That that was kind of like without speaking. That kind of became the promise. The premise that everyone would use a small. Um, she would do a little humming or little words, and Aaron would just string gently, and I would use very gentle, small uh, electronics or clinging sounds hmm. and that's yeah. how it kind of developed. Okay. So going back to the the family audio because I think I, what what you said was uh, interesting and I'll just elaborate that um, we have this interest or desire or like this kind of urgency to work with ready-made or found sounds so that sounds that we are finding yeah and and sort of use those to like work with them to like bring out some of the social or formal issues that they have to like produce a new work but also we're kind of generating found sounds in a way sure. so like we are yeah. kind of setting up situations for ourselves that then can be um, 
used as a kind of source material. So as we were jamming or like playing together as a family, we knew that we weren't sort of any of us prepared to make a complete work at the moment. So like it was all always like very tentative what we were recording because she's trained to sing in a very certain way. Yeah. And I'm not a good guitar player, honestly. And she does electronics, but not in a sort of um, like. I like never quite improvise with other people like that. What we what we are doing is not virtuosic. No. And and so therefore it was about making situations and like coming up with a kind of library of sounds that we could then draw from later because we're where we are the most talented in is editing. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we know, we know how to edit. But we edit well. When you edit something, you're actually making a new construction mm -hmm. and a new composition. That's where we... And how you put things together, you make connections between them. Yeah. That's what this is going to be. Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm sort of editing in my head what you're I'm wondering what what you're going to cut and I'm like I'm like there's I'm doing a it too. yeah so <laughs> that's that's uh, the funny funny part of like an editor brain is is uh, you right. have the raw material to deal with and hopefully there's enough good stuff in the raw material and then you hope to be able to cut it in right. a way that makes sense. But I think the most important thing about those recordings were the silence because it was very much about the atmosphere, because we were recording in my mom's house. And then you will have, you know, like the dog in the background and my mom cooking, and then you will have the, you know, like rain. So then it became- The creaking of the chair. Right, so then it became about not so much what we were doing as he was saying, it was not about we're making music and we're a band, but it was about being together and spending time together. And then these recordings will go for a long, long time and it will be about the feeling and about the um, environment that is created when yeah. bodies are together in a space more than the uh, specific sounds we were making. My wife has described your music as uh, something that it sounds like music that ghosts would make. <laughs> yeah. When when we were making sound, we realized that how we were working is very particular and like very unbombastic and and very like um, like purposefully not something else. Yeah. And and so like I remember like one of the one of the main criticisms when we were starting to get press 
one of the main criticisms was, oh, it's a failed laptop project, mm -hmm. or oh, it's a failed, like, um, like formalist. Uh, or IBM when you was. It's IBM a failed IBM project, or a failed. It's like it's always a failed something else. Because he was which not for us was actually very very successful. So right. by yeah. not by not um, following a value system or not follow, following a sort of norm from another genre from another way of working this is this was purposely what we were doing right. we were uh, we very clearly not doing other things and so like um but we all i mean the ghost thing i think that your that your wife mentioned that sounds that sounds pretty good so we don't we never had a sort of way of describing what we were doing but we knew when it was right, right. pulling ourselves into the sounds because we're also you know getting lost in doing it and that kind of feeling is great when you get lost in the thing that you're making it's wonderful yeah so we were hoping also that the listener would get lost with us in this world that we're making with these and, particular and then choices you could find people who worked not necessarily the same as us but that they were also not trying to f follow a formula or a f trend but to c do things that they seemed like they were failing, but they were actually not failing. They were just doing it in another way. So there's a number of people within in New York City. Of course, it's New York City. So there's a number of people who we could relate to and share interest with in New York City and also in London. But in Spain, not so many. Sure. And so in any, the, any other town, not so many. But what we found was every city had a number of people. And so we were reaching out and connecting mm. like early on in the internet. Thank, thank goodness for the internet. Yeah. And so then we were finding like-minded people doing these off things and meeting and collaborating and joining each other and publishing each other's works. And I will say that what was exciting to us about sound, which we didn't get from visual art at the time, is that they were spread throughout the world, as I was saying, people who were very committed, uh, very dedicated, but because it was early internet and you really had to learn to know each other, but just by slow email, we will send letters to each other, we will send packages, yeah. wrap with a lot of love. So it really felt like you were getting a family, a community, little by little and through time and ge getting respect through time and it didn't feel competitive because a there was no money to be made and b um there were so few of us that we really were taking care of one another and helping one another so that was very special and that made us um stay for many years in experimental sound yeah did you all do concerts like Oh yeah. Like 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 hey we're a band and this is this is our set We list we would do tours for so we sure. We would do tours. I mean th we yeah, we didn't have I mean it was always a bit of a kind of marketing problem because <laughs> we were never a band. But no. um but then the infrastructure of course for touring music was were bands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then um we we would get invited. There's a number of years. I mean we we made a living on sound for 10 years. We we had no other jobs. Yeah. We were. I mean, we, we were, live cheaply, right? We were, yeah. We were broke as rats, but um, we we actually got paid to do performances. 
won an award way back, like almost 20 years ago, uh -huh. for Scotch Monsters and The Tale of Pip. Mm -hmm. That the latter is like kind of the most straightforward narrative yeah. type mm. project that you've done. Do you, do you still have this award? The the PR's Electronica Award. Yeah. Oh, um, I don't think is we that like kept the statue itself. They, yeah, there they was gave a, there us some kind of statue trophy. that that we don't we don't have, but we we uh, we were very happy with the money. <laughs> oh, cool. For us, that was like an entire year of living, basically. That was life saving. That's how broke we were. Yeah, that was life saving. And then another funny thing that happened with that is that um, we had to perform as part of the award. Yeah. <laughs> Should I tell that one? Sure, you can tell that. Please. <laughs> so we were invited to, 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 to Linz, Austria to, to perform and to like accept the award and this whole business. And they had like this sort of TV show set for the award and it's kind of serious. I mean, for, for Austria, it's one of the biggest sort of prizes that they hand out. Um, and it's televised and everything. But we didn't realize is that um, there's like an experimental acoustic, like academic venue. And for some reason they put us in the pop music venue. And um, with some with some like Austrian rappers that had won an award that year. Oh, wow. And so we, they said, there's your stage and there's the barriers. And so they had these giant, like... Like a cage. Like a cage. They had us in a cage. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, and so we, um, we said, why, why do they, why did you have the cage? Why are we in the cage? And they said, so the audience won't throw themselves at you. And, and we said, the, the audience is not going to throw themselves at anything at all. If anything, we're going to put them to sleep. <laughs> and so um, it was just so absurd. And sure, I mean, it was a total failure, of course, because the audience went there expecting another, another like pop music phenomenon. And they got us and they, 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 but they mostly left. They mostly left. People will open the door, peek in. And, and it was so absurd to see us like playing these small sounds in this cage that people will peek in and be like, what in the world is going on here? And then they will leave. We could just hear the door opening and closing. Opening and closing. closing. And so we, it was, yeah, I mean, we got some aggressive comments and it's very easy to talk over our shows because we play quietly. Yeah. And we got some aggressive comments, and then we got a stream of people out the door, and then we got people coming and listening for a second and leaving, and that was our PR's, PR's electronica experience. But uh, to why we stopped releasing and performing, it just got a little intense to, to have this, at that point, maybe bi-monthly uh, trips, mm -hmm. and kind of feel like you're putting yourself out there and you don't know what is going to happen it's it exhausting. felt too yeah. out of control so we wanted to have a more more autonomy of our production and our um the perception of or the perception of the work i guess but also philosophically i think it was bothering both of us that we were going to towns but we couldn't remember what time we were in or where anything happened because it was all a big blur yeah. of traveling, taking the train, flying, whatever. I just couldn't remember what happened anywhere. Then we started making sure that we will stay in each place a for month. 
Yeah, for a long time. We would insist that whenever we would get an invitation that we stay wherever it was for a month. So we stayed a month in Taiwan, a month in in Japan. That's the way to do we it. We stayed a month in in um, in Australia. We Berlin. stayed a month in Berlin. And even now that we're doing more art center kind of things, we do more residencies or even if we're installing a show that could be, insta be installed in three days, we stay a week or two. You guys are very, uh, very worldly, <laughs> world-wise people. <laughs> um, I don't have a whole lot of context about your um, more recent works, um, but it definitely seems maybe a, a bit bleaker. You've remastered a lot of your uh, recordings that we've been talking about as well as some that had been unreleased and they all have like kind of a uniform style of new cover art whereas before it was kind of a soft very soft looking artwork mm. yeah i mean i think it's an interesting description bleak um maybe we moved more from the personal and the biographical to the structural Mm. So I think as we started to understand the world more, just, you know, getting older and reading more and thinking more, then we started to see that the things that we, we and everyone suffer from, from like, you know, um, trauma to uh, growing in um, you know, struggles, economic and otherwise, <laughs> you got the B again. By the microphone so everyone can hear it. <laughs> oh, just take the, slowly take the headphones off and then don't move. And they'll realize that, that she'll realize that there's nothing there. Oh, it got me. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Is I it gonna die? Uh, she will, but it's okay. We only okay. live a week okay? anyway. We'll get you yeah, a nice pack. Yeah, I don't know. Should I swat it or? Uh, just get it out now, yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Let's get you a nice pack and a hug. It's okay. I'm going to see if I can put the headphones over the ice pack. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Those bees. Sorry about your bee. So talking okay. about bleak. <laughs> we have the <laughs> a bee attack and the, 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 thing, the poor thing is now on, on our last our last seconds of life. I would say that our feeling about the work is not bleak. Mm. The world is pretty bleak itself. I mean, but also beautiful and wonderful. So we're trying to, that's also mm. why we make art because there's so much to celebrate and there's so much beauty and wonder and science and, you know, our daughter and the bees. And so there's, but for us, it's about like acknowledging that this kind of a complete package Mm. 
for us, it, it's been really important to acknowledge that that art is propaganda, despite the wailing of the purists. And so there's this it, there's this idea going around that there's some kind of pure art, and art with no context and content. And of course, we understand that that kind of art and that kind of an art and entertainment, especially, comes from a fundamentally well-adjusted place that basically is propaganda for the status quo. Instead, we're making a kind of very purposeful, and I would say loving, ultimately, um, dissent. Because then we don't feel like it's our personal failings or like it's our problem alone, but we feel connected with other people and we feel like if something is not working is not because you as a person are inadequate but it's because this is stacked up against you because of this reason and then there might be ways in which collectively these things could be combated or reimagined so it has made us much more at peace with ourselves through uh, not shining away from problems but trying to understand them mm. and that's what we try to teach our students like sometimes they say oh this is so heavy but then we tell them well if you acknowledge the problem and you acknowledge that other people are suffering from the same things that you are suffering and that there are things that can be done then you would feel uh, much um, m much more able to cope with what you're coping with and, you know, even with our daughter in her, you know, for her age, we try to explain to her how things work instead of trying to, like, make some kind of imaginary worlds for her. A fairy tale. I mean, right. we, we found it, like, actually offensive. The more, like, as we grew up, the more we understood the, all the fairy tales that we've been taught, um, the more we just got more disgusted by, like, first of all, why, why starts, why, racism inequality and other other shit happens and then why is there such a machine to cover all that up speaking of we might such a machine pause the machine <laughs> blasting by Wait, oh, you see, oh yeah they're going to the next road to the ahead of the road right yes those machines that just tore up the road in that last week I had a feeling if I got together with you two that there would be a lot of interesting ambient sounds. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> I'd like to thank you both so much. Well, thank for, you for coming. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me over. This has been really enlightening and just very nice. And I still haven't eaten one of these delicious cookies that you've baked. So I'm looking forward to that. How's your head? Um, I think I just need a cookie and it'll be all better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> This has been an interview with Alejandra Salinas and Aaron Bergman on Low Profile with me, Mark Lee Morrison. 
You can find links to Alejandra and Aaron's work, past and present, and most of the recordings that you heard on this episode's website at lowprofilepodcast.com. Special thanks to Nathan Burko Gibson. He painted the portrait for this episode. You can follow or subscribe to this show wherever you get podcasts. And if you want to keep up with future developments, there's a Facebook group. It's called Low Profile Listener Hub. I'm also on Instagram and Venmo at Low Pro Podcast. And the raw version of this interview will be available for folks who support this show on patreon.com slash lowprofilepodcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.